Welcome to the great debate. Well, actually, this isn't the great debate. We decided to switch it up today. Generally, the, the great debate is bringing two people from opposing sides together to reach common ground. But today it's slightly different. I, this, this is not really two people from opposing sides. These are two people with different perspectives, different opinions from the same community who are going to share their thoughts, their ideas, and we're going to explore new issues. The topic today, LGBTQ plus in the Jewish community. Today, we're going to explore how these two identities interact. When do they conflict and when do they harmonize? Today, we explore that. For those joining us for the first time, welcome to The Great Debate. We do weekly discussions on important issues. If you like what you see, please subscribe. If you like this video, give us a, a thumbs up. If you don't, give us a, a down vote. That's cool, too. Just express yourself. After this conversation, which will last around one hour, we're going to move over to an after party in Discord. For those not familiar with Discord, don't feel bad. It's, it's for Zoomers and younger, but we're, we've adopted it because it's awesome. It is a platform to manage communities, and we're going to continue this live conversation. It's going to be a video voice call where anyone can join and participate in the conversation. You can ask our guest questions, and you can share your thoughts and ideas. So we would love to see you there. That is right after this conversation. Without further ado, it's an honor to welcome my two guests. To my bottom right, Dubs, Dubs Weinblatt is the director, Associate Director of Education and Training for Metro New York at Keshet, a national organization that works for the full equality of LGBTQ Jews in Jewish life. They are the founder and executive producer of Thank You for Coming Out, a podcast and queer improv show, and co-founder and executive producer of Craft Your Truth, an organization that encourages LGBTQ folks to use any kind of performance art as a way to express their stories and connect with their community around them. And to my bottom left, Arya Marvazi, LGBTQ plus activist and community organizer, gay, born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Arya earned his BA in psychology at UC San Diego and a master's in organizational behavior from NYU. Currently, Arya earned his BA in, oh, I, I said that line already. As, as you all know, I, I do not memorize the bios. I do read them, so I sometimes mess up. I am a human after all. Currently, 12 years in his Jewish nonprofit career, Arya began a lifelong dream of LGBTQ plus activism with JQ, where he currently serves as a managing director. His dedication to the Jewish LGBTQ plus communities earned him a spot on Jewish Journal's 30 under 30 list, Iran Wire's 50 Iranian Americans You Should Know, and most recently, the 2019 J-Pro Young Professionals Award, Dubs and Arya. It's a pleasure to have you both here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Grateful to be here. We will get started by discussing Jewish identity. So let's start by, by, by understanding how do you both identify with Judaism? Um, I think for me, um, it is something that is always in flux and I'm always constantly questioning my relationship with Judaism. Um, I would say overall, I'm more culturally and spiritually Jewish than I am religiously Jewish. Um, growing up in, as a trans person, not knowing that I held trans identities when I was younger, I just didn't have that awareness yet or the language to describe that. Um, I always felt a disconnect within the Jewish community uh, because there was no really out representation or visibility. And so that caused a lot of harm for me growing up. And so I am in the process of now trying to heal and question where I belong and how I belong and if I want to belong and all of those really tough questions that I think Judaism encourages. Great. Thank you, Dubs. Yeah, you're welcome. Aria, the floor is yours. Oh, it seems like Aria has frozen. Look at that timing. Uh, Aria, if you, if you could hear, I would just suggest you uh, refresh the browser. In the meantime, hold on, let me just message Aria just in case you can't hear me. 
2020 and we still deal with technical difficulties. Can you, difficulties. Hear, you, Can you oh, hear me? You're back. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep. Speak a, a little a little loudly because your audio is a little low. Dubs, are you done? Because I just like I trailed off at the end of that. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, I'm done. Um, it's all you. <laughs> amazing. Uh, Adar, thank you so much again for having us. Um, when it comes to Jewish identity, it's interesting for me. I my my cultural identity as an Iranian American and my Jewish identity are inseparable for me. I grew up in a Persian Jewish bubble in Los Angeles. And in essence, when I think about sort of what did my Jewish life look like when I was younger, it was everything from Shabbat dinners every single Friday night with extended family and, you know, 60 plus people at times to, of course, like 300 person bar and bat mitzvahs and 500 person weddings. And all of this was surrounded by this rich Iranian Jewish culture and identity. And so to start, it's interesting that um, for some, Judaism stands firmly as like a religion or a spirituality or a sense of faith. But for me, it's interwoven deeply into just cultural, even ethnic identity for me. Um, and I think I one of the ways that I most deeply connect with Judaism is actually coming to learn later in life that in essence, Judaism was built to evolve, as in the debates of the rabbis over time, through the Talmud and the Mishnah, with things that were in the Torah, um, to codify them and make them more relevant for the modern day. Um, just the sheer fact that Judaism as a faith was built to evolve is one of my deepest senses uh, of connection to it. And then, of course, I think some of those like core ethical mistakes, um, like Lota Amod, like and am I still there? Did you lose me? No. Last Just you for a small, second. Small little hiccup. We're good. Super weird. I'm so sorry, everyone else from wherever you are. Um, All good. We, we blame the internet, not you. Yeah, yeah. Strictly the internet and Corona. Um, <laughs> but things like you know, Ahavat Ger, loving that, loving the stranger, and like that being just a core ethical mixture of Judaism that drives how I behave in the world and like sort of how I think about my Judaism morally. Um, and then I, I guess I do sort of lean in, in Dub's direction in the sense that my observance of Judaism, so much as I am deeply, deeply proud to be a Jewish person and I do believe in the Jewish faith and I do believe in some form of deity um, that is a Jewish deity, but also a deity for all other faiths, it is wrapped up far more deeply in spirituality than religiosity. Um, maybe we'll go deeper into that, but yeah, that's me. Great, thank you, Arya. So it's interesting, you both mentioned something and you know, at first thought, it seems like there's no way to reconcile Judaism with, with queer identity, you know, because the Torah says all sorts of bad things, primarily about, about gays, but it, you know, it's, it seems like because it says those things, how can you justify being both? But I think you both actually explained it very well that a fundamental part of Judaism is to is to evolve and to question and to think. So it's not just taking taking what was said, what was written. It's to actually question it and evolve it. So in in addition to, to that, so so that that's actually profound, and I, I did not consider that. In addition to that, how, how would you say these? these two distinct identities um, interact? Do you feel like they, they, it's easy for them to harmonize or are they sometimes in conflict with, with one another? And what, what experiences ha have you had with, with these interacting identities? I can take this one first. Um, you know, it's interesting. Judaism as an, as an entity is a, it's, it's like a teaching of survival. The, the, whole, the whole story of the Jewish people and who we were and who we became and who we are becoming is at all times a narrative of survival. And, and that in and of itself is interestingly, I think, deeply parallel to my queer identity. The sense that we were always the other. We were an often scapegoated for the world's issues and problems. Um, you know, we were misunderstood for the for sake of being different. And over the arc of time, our sort of 
one of our largest priorities has always been to help people understand exactly what are the values and ethics that drive us, who we are as individuals, how naturally and organically, you know, our, our belief in our faith should harmonize with your belief in yours or sort of your way of living. So all in all, the concept of um, survival and otherness, I think are really like, I just mean to say inherently parallel topics to a queer journey. Um, I also, I, I think, I, I guess I, I negate the idea that these two things do not harmonize. I like, I, I certainly could, we could have a whole conversation about man shall not lie with man. And I actually heard a really interesting perspective on it recently about how, you know, whether it was divinely inspired or otherwise, the Torah is written from a male perspective and preceding the line about men not lying with men. Uh, there is a, a ton of prescriptions about how a woman shouldn't lay with her father or her brother or her uncle or her cousin or blah, 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 and blah. But with men, just don't lie with each other because in essence, like we're going to control femaleness and female sexuality far more stringently than we ever would male, uh, male identity. And of course, when we're talking about homosexuality, we're not talking about incest. We're not talking about anything that is outside of two consenting adults, you know, with some sort of physical or emotional attraction to one another. Um, so anyhow, I, I meant to say that I negate the idea because as you see, 90, 95% of Judaism, be that the entire conservative and reformed uh, denominations of Judaism have fully made do with Torah prescriptions that supersede a single line. In much the same way, we are not going to stone a person to death for not keeping Shabbat. We are not going to prevent a person, their human dignity, by stopping them from living a life, a full life of love and family and community. So it's just, I think, so much as we could pull it apart, we can move away from this, I think, sort of antiquated idea that these two things can't coexist. Because clearly, they're coexisting beautifully here. Um, it's a beautiful flag. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I would say for me, there there is a sometimes a sense of harmony and then also a sense of conflict. As someone who, in thinking about Judaism, thinking about Hebrew, let's say, is a very binary gendered language. And so as someone who uses they them pronouns, how do I talk about myself in Hebrew? How, where do I see my experience? reflected in the prayers that we all that connect us all as Jews I feel so disconnected from those um and so there is this constant tension and struggle for me of where where do I fit in and loving how we're evolving and questioning and as Arya so intelligently put you know like superseding and you know kind of like blowing up what's written and to make it um I'm just putting words in your mouth, but I think you all know what I'm trying to say is um, it's just, it's for me, it feels, it is a constant struggle and it is very complicated for me to, to feel um, that I fit in, that I belong in a space where these really, um, these structures exist. And so, um, but then there are moments where um, there are spaces where, where I can show up and it's framed and named like Hebrew is limiting. And here are alternatives of ways that we can bring you in. So you feel yourself reflected in space. So really the, the only times that I feel harmony with my Jewish and queer identity are in spaces that are very, very intentionally creating those spaces. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of where I am with that. Interesting. Actually, I want to comment on that because I think, Dub, you made such an articulate point about, so my sort of narrative was more about the potential for Judaism, you know, in essence, for these two identities to harmonize and to be in, like, beautiful embrace with one another. But fundamentally, I would agree with Dubs actually, that as they stand today, most Jewish spaces, without having had any sort of intentional conversation about queerness, LGBTQ, Frozen again. Back. You're back. Yeah, yeah. Back, You're back. back. Just that without, you know, without, again, these sort of 
intentional conversations about how a Jewish space would embrace queer people and queer identity, then more often than not, those spaces actually do leave us out and do practice in ways that make it difficult to uh, fully feel identified and embraced and sort of included in Jewish life as it stands today. And, you know, I, I kind of want to, Arya, build, build off, you know, what you mentioned earlier about how Judaism, you know, doesn't need to be followed word for word. And, and I think that it's, you know, it's, it's important to put out there that this is not just something that the queer community is doing uh, with Judaism. Virtually every single Jew alive today does not follow the Torah as it was written. There's, you know, just in Genesis, it says you can't wear two types of cloth at the same time, two different types of fabric, right? Who, who follows that? Most people, regardless of how progressive they are, don't think that you should stone a man who sleeps with another man, right? For they too have evolved their understanding of morality and how the world should be. So I think this, this is a, um, a, a constant in Judaism. And I, I even think it's fair to say that the, the queer Jewish community may be in many, in many instances leading reformation because they're on the, on the front line of trying to make Judaism more inclusive for all its members. Would, would, would you agree with, with that statement? Yeah, no, no, no I no. mean, I think that makes sense. I, you know, and just in thinking about equity, when we create space for the most marginalized in our communities, we are then making space for everyone who might be experiencing right. any, some kind of oppression. So I want to say yeah. that it's, and, you know, there are all different kinds of LGBTQ people. Um, I would say maybe we are one of the many oppressed folks that are leading the way and making a more equitable Judaism. Yeah. The, the only thing I'd say to layer on that is that, to your point, Adar, the reason why Jewish thinkers and philosophers and um, you know, sort of leaders have been at the forefront of so many of the world's civil rights battles is fundamentally because of this reason that we see individuals and individual souls as worthy of the entire world. That like at every moment we should consider ourselves like capable of an entire universe and also just dust. Like maintain the humility of the world is created for you and you are but nothing. And like when we think about that, we can we can utilize that same sort of inspiration to put towards racial justice and women's equality and reproductive rights and LGBTQ equality and every other, you know, sort of battle that there is left to fight. Um, yeah. uh, Dubs, I, I'd like to go, go back to something you mentioned because it, it, it is, you know, a very interesting point about gendered language in Hebrew. And I guess that this is the, this is an issue that arises with any, any binary language, which I, I don't want to come out and say it's the majority of languages, but it very well may be the majority of languages have masculine and feminine. Um, I personally, and this is controversial just because people don't like change, but I don't think that language needs to be gendered at all. Like a chair does not have a gender. A, a fork does not have a gender, right? So it's like, why, why do we need to gender all these items? It, it not only, it, it makes it harder to, to learn the language. Like I, I speak fluent Hebrew, but I still mix up masculine, feminine, and it just makes me seem uh, less articulate in Hebrew. And for no reason, just because they decided that features have are masculine or feminine. So I'm, I'm fundamentally against it. And just to support it, to, to strengthen that claim, it, it is, it's non-inclusive for non-binary people. Would it, are there any efforts to, to, to reform the Hebrew language that, that you know of to make it more inclusive? Yes. So there is the non-binary Hebrew project. Um, and it's at, in discord, I can put the link into the chat or if you find cool. it, you can do that. Um, they are working on different endings and different ways of conjugating Hebrew. Um, I know certain communities um, are kind are creating their own um, ways of uh, conjugating and you know speaking and creating words and ways. Um, uh, sorry, I'm 
losing my, my train of thought for a second, but, um, uh, when for aliyahs, when you call folks to the Torah, um, I, I can't, re- Arya, can you remember what the, what the neutral is? It's like, um, I'm, I'm totally losing it now. Do you know yeah, what I'm trying to say? Exactly, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm sorry it's not a front of mind, but right. You can do a gender neutral aliyah before. Right. So instead of saying like the daughter of, or the son of, you say like from the house of, um, so it like opens it up. It, um, me bait, I think is maybe part of what that is. Um, yeah. I should, I should know it more off the top of my head, but I, here we are. Um, and then I do believe there's some effort in Israel going on as well as trying to evolve the language, but that I am less, have less information about, but I've heard, I've heard it's happening. Aria, do you have more on that? <laughs> we froze with such a beautiful smile. What we see in the public <laughs> chat, just in, in terms of like informing our own thoughts and reflections. Um, I pause, I guess, again. I love how it happens every time I speak. Um, <laughs> we we do uh, hear you though. That's what's most important. God. Hello. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. We we hear you. We hear you. We hear you. They didn't expect this. No, Arya. We we hear you. I guess you can't hear us. Uh. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to tell you to refresh because you can't hear me. Hold on. Hello. Can you hear us? Here, I messaged him. He's going to refresh and um, check your WhatsApp. <sighs> Just so cool. Uh, while he's checking WhatsApp, where were we? So about another, another interesting point about the Hebrew language and, and just binary language in general, it's not only non-exclusive, non-inclusive to non-binary people, it's also patriarchal and, and gives us a certain, it, it, it just changes the way we, we view the world. So for example, if you're referring to a, a man, you'll use one term if you're speaking to a woman you'll use another term if it if it's if it's a group of men and women you're going to refer to it with the with the masculine term right even if it's 99 women and one man then you're still going to use the the male term so this does create a certain hierarchy within society well Mm -hmm. welcome back Arya. and and you know it's subconscious right someone would say somebody can you hear us Arya? yes Perfectly. Awesome. Great. Yeah. If that happens again, just, just refresh. Yeah. Normally that, that fixes it. Yeah. So where, where, where we were, we, we kind of just mentioned that the Hebrew language also, or binary languages also are generally patriarchal. So if you have a, a group of 99 women and one man, you're going to refer to that group in the masculine just because of that one, one man. And many people would see something like this as harmless, right? You know, it's just, just language, but language affects the way we see the world it 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 fundamentally you know affects our worldview so to to work to evolve language to be more inclusive or to give us a a a more a worldview that views people as equal and not in in hierarchies based off gender well that's obviously a, a better world to live in so i see many reasons to reform and it it also we we don't even need to change the way we you know i mentioned chairs and and forks and that these are nouns we we could leave nouns as masculine feminine and just change the way we refer to people as having a more neutral term for that so it's not like you need to change the whole language it's just how you refer to to individuals so i think it's actually easier to to evolve than than people might think Mm -hmm. and it's just it's just creating space for everyone it's not we're not you know, trans people or LGBTQ people, we're not trying to take anything away from anybody. We just want to have a, a spot at the table. We just want to see ourselves reflected as well. It's, and it's, it's funny because it's, it's as simple. Oh, Aria, we can't hear you. Really? I hear, I hear him. Oh, you I do? can't hear him. Oh. You can't hear him? No. What? Interesting. I'm, wow. So, um, th- I'm this not- software that we're using for the live is called Live. 
Don't use them. Yeah. They keep so messing up. I'm going to refresh <laughs> to see if that fixes it for me. And yeah. Okay. I'll the, be right back. The, you refresh now. Cool. Um, I was just, I was going to name the piece that every, every language in history, like from its inception has evolved over time because that's exactly what language does is it evolves. To, to have sort of a, to match the experience of the individuals utilizing that language. We would have no terminology for the internet and 3G, 5G, you know, sort of everything that we talk about in terms of gigabytes and the universe of technology is fully an evolved language of the past 20 right. years because we have come to experience it. So it's interesting, whereas our, our identity and our truth and our reality has been oppressed for forever, We've been in this scenario where it's like, well, we don't need language to talk about that because we're, we're not even accepting that this is real or, you know, exists across every nook and cranny of the planet. Now that we are in that conversation and certainly we can talk about sort of when the conversation robustly began on an international scale, some of it in America, like around the sexual revolution, like in the, in the 70s. We're like barely at the tip of the iceberg as it relates to understanding the terminology. I think the terminology will continue to evolve. And I hope people don't feel threatened that like there may be new words that I have to learn, even though I really accept like I understand that having to shift one's language to accommodate another person may have dif differing levels of difficulty for people. Um, I want to have empathy for that and to say I would be so eager to do that for someone I love you know, or, or someone that I truly deeply cared about. And I think coming in with that lens, we can recognize like we're nowhere near the end of this language evolution on queer identity. Like let's embrace that such that there is an even more authentic, uh, you know, sort of understanding of that um, for future generations. Would you would you both agree that you know part of this education process because there is resistance to to adopting new language, and I you know I think often those who resist it they they, they often point to you know the most extreme members of of a movement and that they try to change language through aggression force. Would, would you would you both? agree a that that's not the majority and that the way to evolve languages through compassionate education to have these conversations to talk to people or, or is there does the approach do you think the approach needs to be more more assertive i would challenge you and say why do we have to pick one <laughs> i think that <laughs> only because i think some people respond more to a more compassionate empathetic Let's have a conversation. I really want to hear you out approach. And then I think there are other people who are like, respond more to a more aggressive, I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but a less empathetic and more like, this is what we need, like kind of a more straightforward, direct um, approach. So I don't know. I mean, all of course, Kate encased with empathy. Um, but I think that there are cases in which a different approaches might be more effective for different people and knowing how to know which people can receive what kind of information is also which important. is an art which is an art form of its own to yeah right love it but yeah i you know just speaking to my own experience of growing up in a and i don't want to generalize about my entire community but certainly i can say a large constituency within the iranian jewish community that i grew up in said staunchly homophobic things, said deeply hurtful things. And even in the past five years where I've become an activist, some of that behavior persists. And on the front end, you know, I, I, I think about when we utilize the terminology of like, let's go to, you know, like, let's battle the other side or let's like sort of, it's a war of ideas. And it puts me in this mindset of like, sort of it is combat to be able to get at one viewpoint or, or ideas across. But, it has, Doug said it really, really well. Like I have begun the process of where I see it in my eyes fit or potentially worthy, I will actually meet hatred and staunch homophobia with patience and empathy and actually like try and hear a person out so that they can express what they need to, even though maybe deep down, even subconsciously, probably hurting me at an intellectual level, I'm letting it land so that I can actually respond 
calmly and dig even deeper. Like, where did that come from? So why do you think you came to believe that? And, and that is, puts the onus on me to sort of like hold the emotional weight of someone's hatred, um, which is tough. And I would never prescribe that to someone else. I'm just sort of speaking to my experience. Um, but I've found it valuable in particular dealing with, for myself, Orthodox Jewish people who, who sort of just like get in, get into one line of thinking and then just, you know, go down the rabbit hole and don't want to meet you anywhere in the middle in terms of any exchange of ideas. And patience has worked. Now, there have certainly been times where I've either lost my temper or just really felt like if you're going to attack me at minimum, the least I can do is just respond with information and like truth. Um, and that's when it gets a little bit more contentious. And that's why I think Dubs was right. It depends who's in front of you and with what like fervor this individual might want to engage in conversation about our lives altogether. I should name to close. It's always interesting that when, when we, I'm not speaking for Dubs, but when, when queer people speak for ourselves and our identities and our communities and speak to the idea of we need rights or we, we want this or we think that or we feel that, we're legitimately talking about sort of how we will be treated in the world, who we are in the world, how we are either embraced or included or not. And when the opposing side is speaking to sort of what they believe that might be anti what we believe, it's, it's almost just like the flip side of the conversation is like, no, stay oppressed. Like you must remain where you are. We don't want to see this sort of evolution that you speak of. And that's just, think about that from the perspective of an LGBT activist, it's mind boggling that that's our daily, daily battle, but I guess we sign right. up to it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you know, many people really reject change. You know, the thought of, of, of change uh, bothers them. And what, you know, what I would suggest them to do is, is look through history and see that change is the only constant, right? It's, it's, the world's going to change whether anyone likes it or not. It's just about steering that change in a more positive direction. Right. And that's, that's really, I think, what activism is all about. They, well, one one last thought on, on the on language. They say I don't remember the exact number, but in in a few hundred years, whatever is known as English then will not be recognizable. We will not be able to understand the English in a few hundred years. The language is evolving, and, and we should embrace it and try to, you know, have language be as inclusive and and providing us the most positive worldview as possible. Not only is it empathetic, I mean, it's just rational, right? Like, why not? Can I, before we move on, can I just share um, kind of a, a story to illustrate the two different ways of approaching these kinds of conversations from yeah. just a personal story? Because I think it might be helpful. So um, I am in Southern Texas right now visiting my parents. And so I have been spending a lot of time with them. And so there has been a lot of moments. So I've been out as a trans person for six years my pronouns have been they, them for three and a half years, and I'm still working with my family to get my pronouns right as much as possible. And so for the majority of the time, I am having conversations with them. I'm being empathetic. I am meeting them where they are. I'm showing up with grace and flexibility. And then it gets to a point for me, it got to a point where I ran out of those things because I'm asking, I'm being patient. I'm kind of giving them so much grace and so much forgiveness, if you will, for continuing to misgender me. It's not just my parents, other people too. So for me, it's like, now what else do I have in my toolbox to try to convey to you how important this is? So mm -hmm. like, and, and I don't even know that it's, it's not conscious, right? So it's like something, we got into an, uh, an argument and I kind of lost my temper a little bit. And it's like, what else, you know, and I said, like, what else do I'm crying? What else do I have to do? How else can I can like get through to you how important this is? And it was the temperature had been raised and it was more aggressive. And that actually is what got through. So I think it, wow. it just, it's, and that the last thing I wanted to do was yell at my parents. They are the best people in the world. And 
I have to remember that I have to protect myself first and I can't be in a space for a prolonged amount of time when I don't feel like I'm being respected or that I'm not being heard as this is hurting me. And and, and I'm also speaking about things other than pronouns. Um, but like, this is hurting me, please stop. And it not being heard. So then what else can I do to make sure that I'm protecting myself and being heard? So I don't know. I, ho- I hope that's a helpful example of kind yeah. of when those differences kind of come up. Yeah, it, it very much is. Uh, thank you for sharing it. And, and you know, I, I hope that in time they, they, they get better at, you know, getting your pronouns right. I really do. It's getting better. <laughs> one day at a time. Yeah. Well, one, one day calm, another day a little more aggression. And, you know, that's, that's the key. Mix it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we got to name just the Jewish piece of this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. How, how do you think we can make spaces more inclusive? Uh, so, I mean, this is dubs in my world, you know, in the sphere of what we do from supposedly nine to five, but really seven to seven, seven days a week. Um, I think, okay, so one, if any individual is interested to make their own family, their own life, their own community, their synagogue, their day school, their Jewish camp, etc., more inclusive, please consider reaching out to either JQ International, that's our organization, and Kesha, that does work for, because our bread and butter is helping individuals and organizations and families do this for themselves. On the, on the front line of the conversation, which is why I said that first, is the intention to be more inclusive. So it's like this, we have decided, either again as individuals or a family or a board of directors or a collective of teachers, that we don't have all the information that we need so as to be able to fully include and embrace the LGBTQ people that are inevitably amongst us. And to reach out to the institutions and organizations worldwide that are focused on this subject, I think is a great first step. Um, And then it really does take the onus off you to have the answers. Um, When it comes down to sort of what becomes the, the steps and strategies that we take, I won't get to them on this call, but um, in a sense, one can go through self-education, one can go through inclusion and allyship training, one can, of course, read books and follow activists online that are telling their stories and sharing about their identities from a diverse array of perspectives that help a person understand LGBTQ identity in a different way than one would simply by asking their one, two, or five queer friends what's your particular experience. Um, so I think I'll, I'll, like consult you know, with, with the people and the organizations that are here really to help you. Um, and then make it a, if, if, it's, if it's meaningful for you, I should say, make it a lifelong journey. You know, so much as Dubs and I have discovered new things about ourselves in the past five years as queer people, for individuals who consider themselves to either be allies or supporters, and we can mark the difference if you'd like, um, we, we hope that you'll be on the journey with us. You know, like in the same way that like a workplace safety training is not the same in 1995 as it is in 2005, an LGBTQ inclusion training is not the same in 2000 as 2005. Like we are rapidly evolving as a community. And I think like that mindset of, I wanna grow with them will really help an individual or an organization or institution be on the journey of, of greater inclusion. And I know Dubs will cover everything that I have. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that was really brilliant. Um, what I would what I would build off of that is just and to reiterate some of the things that you said is really that intentionality and this commitment to this journey. Um, because you're right, it does evolve so quickly. Um, and being open to making mistakes, like nothing is going to change and nothing is going to get better unless we try. And inevitably, because we're humans, we're going to make mistakes. And I think a lot of what I've seen with synagogues or other institutions who've kind of been around for a while, don't want to risk making a mistake because it might 
put a blemish on their reputation or they might get bad PR for X, Y, and Z. And so instead of saying anything, they keep quiet. And so saying anything or trying anything or doing any kind of work beyond maybe um, a consult or one, one, one off training of like, okay, we did this one thing check. Um, and that's great. That is such an important and incredible first step. And there needs to be more investment in this process. Um, I also could get into the nitty gritty, but, um, I don't know that anyone really wants to hear that, but I think just those, these big main, main things to be thinking about, thinking about, oh, you know, we talked about language a lot, but language is really important and what we say and how we say it, um, can really make or break someone's, um, relationship with your community. Um, so just being really intentional about that. And when you make a mistake, acknowledge it and move on. And there's so much more power in, um, owning that than pretending like it never happened. Amen. Thank you both. Inspi inspiring responses, I, I must say. This, this next question is, is actually an audience question, which is in essentially the flip side of what just asked from Benjamin Shafran. Thank you, Benjamin. How did Jews, specifically students, get involved in progressive and or social justice movements without being excluded, shamed for being Zionist? Hmm. Tough. That is a tough question. Yeah. I'll comment on it and, and you could both have like right. uh, a, 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 the thing. So Great. I, would actually, I would actually first by redefining what you mean by Zionism. So often often in these spaces, they, they view Zionism as akin to Jewish supremacy. They view it as inherently oppressive. And to Zionist, that's not what Zionism means. Zionism is just the Jewish right self-determination on ancestral homeland, and you know that can be done in a humane and inclusive way. So, you know, and and for people who understand why language is important, um, they should be able to accept that you as a Zionist have the right to define Zionism as you see it, and they, they don't have a right to define it as they see it. So I, I think I would approach it like that. Say, this is what Zionism means to me. I do not support any form of oppression towards Palestinians. I actually love my Palestinian neighbors, and I'd love for us to find a way to work together. Zionism is just for us to be able to self-determine honor and set their homeland. I feel like having that conversation is... Um, is likely to have uh, good success. I can't say from experience because I, I haven't done that too much, but I have a feeling that that would be an effective approach. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I appreciate what you mentioned because I really loathe the fact that Zionist has become a curse word. Like it's, it's like hurling the word Zionist as though it's like, strictly have a negative connotation and it's it's in some ways like the way that queer was a pejorative word and we and we took it back um and like own queerness like and we love queerness that like zionism which was this term of pride and like honor for us in terms of our self-determination for land has now become bastardized and been like you know dirty jew dirty zionist and and one i find that so highly problematic given in the like battle, in the ideological battle for like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and everything related to that, the the numbers game of just us, the 15 to 17 million Jews in the world, and the I think over a billion people who potentially have negative sentiments about it. Well, over many billion, let's say, have negative sentiments about us, and then in turn negative sentiments about the country. Um, it's just. It's, it's what you said in terms of like, it's difficult to even start the conversation at, well, what do you mean when you say Zionism? You know, I am allowed to have immense love for my country, even with immense problems about how that country is run. And if like any American wouldn't say that today, I don't know, you know, sort of where your head's at. Actually, I should really speak for myself, but like love America, love America, grateful to be born American. 
and have a lot of ideas about how this country could be better, should be better, needs to be and must be better. Um, and so I think like when we get, in, in particular, like I know the person probably asked this question because queer spaces become so anti-Zionist and anti-Israel, like as a, um, as a blanket, blanket statement of value that it really is unfair to an individual that might have any sort of a positive affiliation with the state of Israel, myself included. And I've been told, like, I've been told in the queer space to, that I don't belong there because I was going to be staffing a birthright trip that summer. And like, how dare I continue to uphold an apartheid regime? It's just like, please, first of all, see me eye to eye as a human. Let's discuss sort of what I believe about my country or the country that I love, Israel, and and not just continue to, you know, cancel out the idea that one could coexist like as a as more than you know with more than one affiliation with with the connections that we do to a political entity. It's really tough. I think it's forever tough. Yeah. I don't have much to add. It is just, it's tough. And I think that um, you both kind of already named again. And I think it just tie it back to language and how we don't know what Zionism or Zionist means to the person who's saying it. And so having, like Ari said, like a conversation of what do you actually mean by this and having an eye to eye conversation of like, well, let's kind of think outside this one thing and think bigger of what are we actually trying to communicate? And I think if we all took more time to do that with all topics, I think we'd all be in a better place Yeah. instead of jumping to conclusions so quickly and then judging, shaming and saying goodbye. Right. I think I, I feel like adding to Benjamin's question, obviously it depends on where in the world and what infrastructures are available well, as it relates to how do we get involved in the progressive or social justice movements without being excluded or shamed for being Zionist. Like, and I don't mean to put the sort of, I'm not prescribing that you do this, but I do believe that one angle to remediate this anti-Zionism or anti-Israel sentiment is to actually be in those spaces and to represent your identities as a, as a collective and to, to in, engage as yourself and to share your ideas. And, to, and, and, and sometimes that's unsafe, in which case I would say, please remove yourself. But where there is a audience that's like willing to hear you and hear your perspectives and ideas, it's only by virtue of exposure that someone might understand a queer Jewish person with Zionist love and Zionist ideas has no ill will towards Palestinians or does not believe in apartheid or does, you know, like we would have to be there to be the identity again when meaningful and safe. Um, and so, so if it's possible, I certainly want us to continue trying to, to represent those identities in terms of their healthy fusion. Before we move to the after party, <laughs> are there any final thoughts you'd like to share live? It won't be final thoughts. We do have the after party, but for, for the live stream. And it also can be, uh, but by the way, uh, you, you can find our guests in the description, there's uh, there's contact information there if you want to get in touch. But you know, in your final thoughts, feel free to share what what more people could do, how they could get in touch, how they could get involved. Well, Aria already said a lot of really smart, important things of um, get involved, reading and following activists, and having conversations and advocating for LGBTQ people. Um, whether or not you know anyone personally, um, still being an advocate and ally, a voice, if you will. Um, and I also would, would venture to say that you, whether or not you know it, there are LGBTQ people in your orbit. Uh, they may just not know it's okay to come out and be themselves in front of whoever, whoever one might be. Um, but yeah, definitely reach out to me in my Keshet role, in my personal role of as human, um, and always happy to have conversations and um, give you know point you in the direction of resources, websites, uh, books, movies, podcasts, that kind of thing. Yeah, thank you. 
all all of that and and I always double down on what Doug said, which is to like make a make a sort of make the case for the LGBTQ people in your life that are around and that you may not know the stories of, but that are watching you and are listening to you and are in every moment gleaning from the way you speak, the things that you say, the values that you embody, whether or not at some point in time, you might be a safe enough person to come out to. And so I hope that you sort of take that responsibility, not as a stressor or something to be anxious about, but rather, you know, use that as a, something that like sort of feeds your drive to be even more visible or active about your support. And I'll mark the difference that I named earlier, at least as we define it, between a supporter of the LGBTQ community and an ally. The supporter says it and believes it in terms of like, I believe in equality. I love queer people. I love them just the same. And it might end there. Whereas the ally takes that one step further and begins to do it. And that means taking the action, measurable action, to actually uphold and protect and defend the rights of LGBTQ people. So if it's meaningful for you to move on that journey, um, maybe even from not a supporter to a supporter and from a supporter to an ally, please, 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 our community is only as strong as the people who support us. We need you. And of course, JQ International, our organization, um, that's www.jqinternational.org. And Keshet um, is, that's Keshet LGBTQ. Um, we're keshetonline.org. Keshetonline.org. Yeah. Um, please tap us, engage with us. Like our helpline, by the way, is international. And I actually think that my coworker, Matthew, through the, the line, the, the link for the helpline into the chat, but call us if you need support. We're here for you wherever you are and whatever you might need. And thanks Adar for this. <laughs> Yeah, a, thank you. Great, great pleasure, brother Arya, sibling dub. <laughs> I, I really hope we could do this again. And for those joining us for the first time, we have awesome conversations every Thursday. So please subscribe. But I'd love to have you join our community. And now on to the Discord for a little after party fun. With love from Tel Aviv, Israel. <laughs>